So we, we get a, each other's back here in this church, and uh, Lexan, you make me better, and I'm glad to be a part of your life to help remind you of things too. <laughs> God is good. Well, we are in this series beyond, and the reason why we uh, move the tithe up front as an act of worship is because at the end of service today, as a reminder, that we are going to be receiving our legacy offering, and we're really excited about this. Um, and it ties into this whole series we've been looking at and throughout the month of November, talking about beyond. And I love the welcome that you gave because I was just thinking about it. Many of us, we went beyond the amount of food we should have ate on Thursday and maybe even Friday with leftovers. And uh, so we're here now. It's like, what's next? You know, because I've been living beyond. But um, if you've been in our series, you know that living beyond is not living beyond for ourselves. And so actually it doesn't matter how much stuffing that you put into your body and you stuff yourself with. But it's, it's living beyond is living for people outside uh, of your own personal life. So whether it's people in our household, people in our neighborhoods, in our city, and today we're going to talk about living beyond our borders. And this is a very important message because oftentimes, you know, when we wake up, we are very um, just focused on the things that are right in front of us. So we focus on the traffic, we focus on local politics, and the things that directly affect us. So oftentimes when we want to pray, we often maybe pray beyond ourselves. We just pray for our city because it has a direct correlation with how our city is run, with how we are affected. But God has a heart for people, and people don't just live on this island, praise God, because we got enough people already. And God has a heart for the world. And so that's what we're going to talk about today and how our church has been uh, walking with God through this calling to reach the world. And so what we're going to do is turn to Romans chapter 10. And the book of Romans, I love this book. It's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. I love the whole Bible. But if, you're, if, if I had to choose, right, like if you ask me, which one's your favorite child, Pastor Tim? I have four kids. I will never tell you, uh, like, this is my favorite child. I love all my kids, right? But there's certain aspects of things that I love within each child that I'm like, wow, God, you've really blessed this child with a certain gift. And in Romans 10, in explaining the overarching narrative and, and really giving us a, a clear summation, because this whole Bible is one story. For those of us who never really read the Bible before, and we think it's just a uh, kind of like a smorgasbord of stories and, and different um, truths thrown together. It's actually, it reads from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, one cohesive story. And so in the book of Romans, it helps bring a great summation of what the story is about. But we're going to look at Romans chapter 10. If you can turn with me to verse 13 to 18 as we open up today's sermon. Scripture declares, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of of those who preach the good news. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. 
Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your living word. We thank you for your truth. And we pray, Lord God, that even as we receive the good news, help us to also, Lord, give the good news. And so we thank you, God, for what you're going to do today inside each and every one of our hearts. Have your way. Expand, Lord God, our vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to continue on now. It says in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? For So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth. Everyone say, all the earth. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So there's, I broke it up into two sections because the first part is a blueprint of God's plan. And what we got to realize that God's mission becomes our mission. See, many of us, you know, as this year's winding down, we kind of maybe take an inventory and reflection. How did our year go? And, and maybe we have personal goals and we have a personal mission statement in which we live by. Maybe for those of us who are business owners, I'm sure uh, all our businesses uh, owners here have mission statements in which we guide our business. Well, God has a mission statement and, and he breaks it down in Romans chapter 10 and he gives us the blueprint of what this mission looks like. It's that for salvation to come, you must believe the gospel. To believe the gospel, you must hear the gospel. For someone to hear the gospel, the gospel needs to be preached and proclaimed. Now, there's this saying that was attributed to Francis Assisi that he never said. Uh, is that preach the gospel uh, at all costs and if necessary, use words. And then, and then that's kind of influenced and, and infiltrated into church culture today, right? We'll just be really good people. We're going to be great neighbors to our community. We're going to be great people at work. And I hope we are. I hope we are light and not darkness at work. That when we show up, you know, on the Monday, we make people's Mondays more like a real, real Monday because of we bring everyone down around us. It shouldn't be like that, right? So yes, when people get around us, they should like what they see. However, this idea of just being nice people and never opening our mouths to proclaim the gospel is a problem. And it's not what I just saw in Romans chapter 10. It clearly states that for those who believe the gospel, they must receive the gospel through the proclaiming and the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is not intuitive. You cannot just rub the Bible against somebody and osmosis, like many of us in school back then, like, you know, studying up, studying late, we fall asleep with the book and drool like coming out and the book becomes our pillow. If you fell asleep like that, I'm sorry, but when you wake up, because I know I found out the hard way, all that information in the book is not automatically going to be absorbed in your brain, okay? If you fell asleep and you weren't able to study what you needed to study, the next day you're not going to know what to do in the exam, and then that's where you maybe did abacadabra on the, you know, if it's a fill in the blanks, A, B, A, C, A, B, 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 A, and hope for the best. And so similarly, the gospel, the beauty of the gospel message, it's not through osmosis, 
Yes, there are miraculous events that happen where Jesus appears to people in dreams. It's happened throughout history, and it continues to happen today, and oftentimes in places like the Middle East, where it's difficult for missionaries to get in, and when missionaries get caught, they get killed or imprisoned. And so Jesus does appear to people in dreams. However, the primary method and vehicle in which God uses to share the beauty of this message of God's love to the world. But because of our sin, and by the way, you're like, what is gospel, gospel, gospel? I'm explaining it right now, okay? Okay, so God loves this whole world, the people in the world. But because of our sin, we've been separated from God. And so God, loving us, becomes fully man, but yet still fully God through his son, Jesus, on this earth, living the life which we could never live, and that's a sinless life, only Jesus was perfect. And because of that, only Jesus is capable of dying for us and paying for the penalty of our sins. There's nothing in this life that can atone for our sins. Nothing we can do, no matter how many good things we do. Because in this world, it's like we try to do this scales of justice, right? I've done more sin, so I'm going to try to do more good to balance out that sin. And we, we think that doing good will wipe out our sins, but only through the blood and sacrifice in which we can uh, be atoned for our sins. And that's through the penalty that Jesus paid for us on the cross. But the good news, this is the good news. We know we don't have to blindly trust in the Bible, but we know it's true because it is a fact that Jesus was here on this earth 2,000 years ago. It is a fact through hundreds of eyewitness accounts, and then later on through thousands, that Jesus appeared to them after he was crucified, after he's been dead in the tomb for three days. The resurrected Jesus is a fact. And so that is the good news, because because of that, those of us who are in here and we place our faith in God, we know that our sins are forgiven, not because there's a crazy man walking around 2,000 years ago saying he is God, But because he conquered death itself, he proves that he is God. And that is a fact. And because of that, we have faith. And that is the good news. That no matter how bad we are and how incapable we are of doing good, we have a good God. And because of a good God, he's brought this good news. And when we receive this good news, we now have eternal life in him. We are saved. And so that's the gospel message that needs to be proclaimed. That's not just merely just um, transported from one thing to another just by mere touching, but it needs to be said. And where? What parts? Only certain parts, the western region of the world? No, to the ends of the world. And understanding this, there have been many missionaries before us that have gone Uh, before us that have spread the good news all throughout the world. And in the 1800s, when you study it, it's amazing. There's these missionaries, group of missionaries known as the one-way missionaries. The reason why they were called the one-way missionaries is when they went to the outer parts of the world, where places that the gospel hasn't yet been taught and proclaimed, they went with a casket instead of a suitcase. They packed their belongings in a casket because where they were going, they were just going to die there. This is not a short-term mission trip. 
This is not like, oh, where, have, where do I want to travel and where do I want to go see? Hmm, Japan, Tokyo seems like a great city. And I'm not no- knocking that, by the way. We send teams every year to Tokyo. But I'm just picking an easy one from Hawaii. We all want to go to Tokyo for those of us who have never seen it before. I did. It's an amazing city. You got to go, right? But that's not how they chose their mission field. It's not like, oh, yeah, I heard there's good sushi there, so I'm going to go and be a one-way missionary. No, they went to the farthest parts of the world with very little amenities, uh, a a tougher um, style and way of living than where they left here in the States. And as um, they were sent out by their churches, they knew they were called one-way missionaries because they only bought a one-way ticket. They were willing to die on the mission field, and many did. Many did die in the mission field. One of the the heroes of the faith um, and one of the first commissioned foreign missionaries in American history, I know we don't hear this name often, it's Adoniram, Adoniram Judson. So you might even see, uh, especially in the Southern Baptist world, that that name Judson on a lot of buildings is because of uh, Adoniram Judson. So he left for the mission fields in the early 1800s, went to Burma, which is now the nation of Myanmar. And it took him six years, six years just to see his first convert. But one of his goals was to always convert the Bible into the native language so that everyone can read the word and so that the word of God can be proclaimed and the good news can be proclaimed. Well, unfortunately, in 1824, there was a a war that broke out between Burma and England. And so the Burmese emperor at the time suspected any uh, foreigner to be a possible spy, including Adoniram. So he was imprisoned for 19 months. And this is not like, you know, like a vacation type prison. This is, think, Burmese jungle, right? So he was put... In, in difficult living situations, he was tortured. One of these things was when uh, there, there's a period where he would spend sleeping upside down. They would hook a bamboo stick um, and hang him upside down, and that's how he slept. By the time he was released from prison 19 months later, he was barely unrecognizable because of how frail and thin he became. And you think, okay, that's a lot, God. I think I did enough. I'm ready to go. He stayed. And, and a few months later, after getting out of prison, he lost his wife to sickness. Um, it, was, it was difficult, right, for foreigners to make it in, in jungles like that. And he, his wife died. And then uh, just a few weeks after that, his only surviving child died as well. And that brought him great depression. He went off into the jungles and uh, was a hermit for a little bit, wondering, God, what is going on? But then God infused new faith in him. He came out of hiding in the jungles and continued to proclaim the gospel. And as he proclaimed the gospel, what took six years to see his first convert, later on, in, in 1831, alone, he saw 217 uh, people baptized converted to Christianity. So in his ministry, the first nine years yielded 18 converts. The first nine years, 18 converts. And then in one year alone, 217 baptized. A year later uh, after that, another 126 followed up 
being baptized into receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. So finally, he came home after many years later. And throughout that time, he lost track of a lot of different friends and family. There was only a, a handful of people he kept in contact with. So when he came back, he expected a very quiet welcome. He wasn't ex- expecting much fanfare. But to his surprise, he was welcomed by thousands of people. Because during his time, his many decades over in Burma, as he was sharing the gospel, there were different people using his story in sermons all across the U.S. to inspire other missionaries. So there was thousands of sermons preached. In fact, he found out there were thousands of people that named their child after him. Now, that was 1800s, okay? So you probably won't find many Adarams walking around. <laughs> Adonirams, I'm sorry. Um, and, and so he would be asked to guest speak at a lot of churches. And they were excited to come. They filled halls like this to hear him preach here in the States when he came back. And you know what? They were disappointed. Because they wanted to hear stories and tales of living in this exotic place in Burma, going to the other side of the world. But you know what he'd do? He keep preaching the gospel. And so one day, someone had the audacity to ask, you know, when I look around in the audience, I see everyone seems disappointed when you preach because I think people want to hear more about your tales as a missionary and the different things you encountered. Because again, this is the 1800s. There was no internet Right? People had, had no idea what it was like to live in a foreign place like that. But this is what he said. He said, why? What did they want? I presented to, to them the most interesting subject in the world to the best of my ability. It is the most beautiful story every con- ever conceived of. And then the person said, well, they heard it before. And they want something new from the man who had just come back from the other side of the world. And he replied again, I am glad and happy to say that the one coming from the other side of the world has nothing better to tell them than the wondrous story of Jesus' dying love. That's the beautiful um, truth of the gospel. That the gospel, no matter how many times we hear it, if we understand it for what it truly is, we would never get tired of it. It never gets dull. But it remains this amazing story that there's no story ever fathomed here on this earth in which is better than the story of the gospel. And that is that which we proclaim and are called to go. So not only are we called to share the gospel, but we are called to go. And that is the narrative all the way from the beginning of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, we mostly see of uh, follow a man's life named Abraham. And for those of you new who never heard of Abraham, he's a very prominent figure in Scripture. He's known as the father of faith. In fact, all of us who are Christians, we can be called children of Abraham because it was the faith of Abraham that got this journey all started. I know you heard of Adam, but this is Abraham because there was a time where people just settled. But as we look at Genesis or sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, an, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So God had a promised land for Abraham, 
But beyond the promised land was this great promise that God was going to make Abraham a great nation. And through him were going to come descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea. And that's talking about the whole world. That's talking about people of faith because through Abraham came Jesus and through Jesus is exactly why we are here. But when we think about missions in the Bible, I love uh, Jonah. Jonah is not just the story for the kids ministry, but it's a very fascinating tale because I think it speaks of our hearts oftentimes. And we're going to look at Jonah chapter one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go, everyone say go, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is God speaking. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa when he found the ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. See, God's mission becomes our mission and God's mission is for us to go. But Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He went the opposite. So if you look at the, the map in the region of the world, uh, modern-day Nineveh is Iraq. And Tarshish is the opposite direction of where Jonah was supposed to travel. Basically, he went completely as far away as possible from Nineveh. Now, why did Jonah hate Nineveh or not want to preach the gospel or the good news that God has this message because obviously, sorry, the gospel, he didn't know what the gospel was, but he was supposed to call people into repentance and turning back to God. Okay, so that has definitely hints of the gospel there. But Jonah didn't want to do it. Um, one is because the Ninevites, they were a very aggressive people and they often, um, they loved going to war. And they would often go to war with Jonah's people. And so why would he want to bless people that were, didn't want to bless, but rather wanted to harm them? And, but for us in modern day, I think many of us, we run from this call to go is because we're too comfortable. And we don't want to go to a place that's difficult. We don't want to go to a place where we might be rejected. And so we rather go the opposite direction and stay in comfort. And, and, and living, I love the culture here. I love being born and raised in Hawaii. I got to spend a, a decade on the mainland as well. And I see the difference, right? And here everyone's so loving and accepting. But sometimes a blessing can also be a curse. And because of that, sometimes we don't want to rock the boat. And we don't want to get offensive towards people. And we want to let people believe what they believe. And we can believe what we believe. But the gospel is very clear. And again, if you read the book of Romans, chapter 1 and 2, it talks about the law of God is already written on every person's heart. So whether or not they understand the gospel, there's this law that God brings conviction on everybody's heart. But they don't know what that is. And then it says in, in Romans chapter 1 that people try to suppress the truth. So we are called to come and be able to explain that thing which you're running from, that thing that you're trying to suppress, or the guilt from and the stain of sin in our lives can only be forgiven when we turn to God, when we turn to God through his son, Jesus. And so finally, um, you know, we fast forward this story. When we look at Jonah chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord 
came to Jonah a second time. So it took God two times. And I get that as a parent. I see many parents in this room. How many times we got to tell our kids to do certain things that they're supposed to do? Like get dressed, stop running around naked. And they get dressed finally or they go brush their teeth. So for Jonah, God had to hunt him down and tell him a second time. But the message is the same. Everyone say go. Verse 2 says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh is a very, very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began, to, uh, began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God when God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Later on, we see in Jonah, the book of Jonah, that there were uh, over 120,000 people that were spared in that city that turned to God. That's a pretty large city. How many of us realize that God loves cities? And it's not that God loves cities more than the rural parts of the world. It's because God loves people, and people tend to flock and gather in cities. And so cities have a greater concentration of people, and because God loves people, God has a special place in his heart for cities. And so this church was started out in Pearl City, but we have a huge heart and are excited to be here in Honolulu. Six years ago, when Pastor Norman asked me, can I go help and start something out here? I quickly said yes, because I have a heart for this city. This is a major hub here in the Pacific. God loves this city. And, you know, we have over 350,000 people living in this metropolitan Honolulu area. I know we're getting more and more high rises, so that number is probably going to tick up really quickly. But this is the hub for the military. This is a hub for business being done in the Pacific. And we're steps away from the government. Literally, we can cross the street and, and we have the state capitol. We cross the block and we have City Hall. This is a very significant location for us to be to share the gospel. And the reason why it is important that we reach city centers is, I, I give this story. I was just thinking about it. Um, I'm not going to say which daughter because I don't want her to be embarrassed. So don't, don't no one ask any of my kids about this story. But uh, my daughter is in the paddling team. And unfortunately, they paddle out from the Alawai. And this is like a bunch of um, new paddlers on her team, including her. And so they were supposed to turn and they turned wrong and they flipped in the Alawai. So I was like, oh, I almost said her name. <laughs> I was like, I hope, I hope they bathed you in Perel after. That is disgusting. So for those of us who don't know what the Alawai is, you, you, there's no swim team that swims in the Alawai, okay? It's, it's, it's a very polluted portion of water here uh, on this island and uh, by Waikiki that goes out to the ocean. But the reason why it's so nasty is because of all the runoff, Right? And, and we know about this. For those of us who live here, you try to go and swim in the ocean after it's been raining hard, it's a bad idea. They call it brown water, and it's, it, it, the color brown, I'm just not going to go into details on that, but it makes sense because of all the runoff from the sewers and from the mountains with 
stuff from the animals. It just, it just, it's bad water. Well, that's what it's like when we don't reach the city, that the things of the city give greater influence to things downstream. And so if we want to change culture for the better, it's not just protesting and making our voices loud as Christians. It's proclaiming the gospel and seeing change at the very center from the inside out of cities. From business leaders coming to know God, politicians bowing their knees before God, representing a higher authority than themselves, the military, and that has always been the call of this church. And because of that, as, as we heard last week, as Lexan preached a very powerful and encouraging message, we've been doing things to reach other cities here on the island, and we're so excited um, about what God has been doing right here in Liliha. We have the Asanos, Kevin and Maria Asano. But even for them, we've been also talking to them about Japan because of their ties to Japan, and our church has many connections in Japan. So from Uliha to Japan with his uh, judo studio, um, because he competed there in Japan uh, during the Olympics. And so since that time, he still has a lot of open doors for the gospel to be shared. Of course, out in Nanakuli, we have Moku and Sierra Kokonu. We're excited about what God is doing on the far parts of the island over there. And then you heard last week, and you saw the video uh, out in Mililani, in which we're just getting this microsite going, but there's so much momentum. There's so many new people already getting connected through Liko and Nikki Krusey. Um, a few weeks ago, you've seen another video uh, all the way from Tacoma, Washington, where we have Mark and Ruth Young. And now for Mark, he was a missionary uh, that lived in London, but he was reached here on this island, grew up here on this island, went to London, spent time serving in our Vegas church, and then now just recently church planted Pastor Mark out in Washington. His wife, by the way, is from South Africa. Talk about reaching the nations. And then I mentioned Vegas a moment ago, but of course we have uh, Matt and Jerrica. Matt was also reached here on the island and uh, he is looking to church plant in Las Vegas. We're excited about that. And of course, very near and dear to us, Mark and Jessica Klein are out in Los Angeles. And we're praying right now. We don't know what God's going to do, but they have a heart to want to start something out in Los Angeles. And so can you imagine, right, if we can turn L.A. upside down? L.A. is such a major influence on media and culture can you imagine L.A. Of just being filled with people who walk, breathe, and live the gospel and how different society would look? But of course, this idea is to go to the ends of the earth. And so it's not just reaching this nation, but it's really reaching the world. And we are part of a ministry called Every Nation. And the reason why it's called Every Nation, because we have this mantra in which it guides our ministry, that we believe reaching every nation in our generation. And it's completely possible with the resources, but we, the resources, more than the money or the technology, such as the internet, it's the resources are people. And so we're sending our best and brightest overseas. Um, years ago, when I, it was right around the time I got back from the mainland, the Luz, Tarn, and Marissa, dear friends of mine, was preparing, and they've been in Thailand now. So over a decade, they've been in Thailand and then recently, we sent the Ali Mazas 
um, Corey and Sonia. Corey, when we first started out here at downtown, he was our worship leader. And so they're there right now with their young family out in Thailand sharing the gospel. And then early uh, next year, we have the Aganos that are going to be going, Jeff and Leanne and their family. And so we're excited about that as well. Uh, but we also, as I mentioned a moment ago, we have a heart for Japan. Uh, we're looking and we've been praying about the South Pacific besides other cities in the U.S. And so this idea here now is in this room, I'm wondering who uh, in here is called to go. And some of us, maybe we've already written it off like, oh, I'm too old, that's not me. Or I'm too young, that's not me. But God can do anything. And so maybe there is a nation or a particular people group or a particular city in the U.S. that is burning in your heart. And maybe somehow there might be an alignment, like Phoenix, Arizona, just something random, right? And that's like been on your mind for some reason. And then all of a sudden next year, we're going to say, hey, you know what? Our, our church, we're looking to start something new in Phoenix, Arizona. And you know, like, wow, God, that's weird because I was just thinking about that. And so that's, I just want you to have a heart open. Am I called to go? And many of you did come. You went the first time when we started downtown. You didn't come here just because it was more convenient. And in fact, for those OGs um, that came out here from the very beginning, I love Pastor Norman. You know, he just says it like it is. He said, if you're coming here just because it's closer to your house, don't come. You might have remembered that. You got to come because you feel called to helping reach Honolulu. And uh, so that, that, that's been made clear from the very beginning. And you did come. And, and you went. But some of us were continue to con continue to go. And, but maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really have a burn of a, of a particular place. Where am I supposed to go? Well, even if you don't know where you're going to go, we're all called to sow. Everyone say sow. We are all called to sow. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 we close with this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And we're believing for a generous harvest, amen, of people coming to know God, families transformed, when we transform families, cities transformed, and then nations are transformed. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise. So we're going to pause here real quick. I want to ask us this. Do, does the way we give, the way we sow, do we give in such a way that other people's lives are changed and other people start praising God because of how we sow. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So pausing here again real quick. There is a correlation tied together between the proclaiming and the sharing of the gospel and living generously, generous, living with great generosity, sowing. Verse 14 then says, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace 
God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right, so let's go back to Jonah real quick as we close. You know, um, it almost seems like Jonah was forced to have to go to Nineveh. Because for those of us who are familiar with the story of uh, Jonah, he tries to go to Tarshish. So he gets on a ship and then they encounter a great storm. And they have to, the ship for it to be spared has to throw Jonah over the sea. And then Jonah gets eaten by a giant sea creature. You can say a well. The original Pinocchio, Jonah. And he's in the belly of a well, right? So what, what's happening here? So it seems like God forced Jonah to have to go to Nineveh. But the question is, did God need Jonah? Did God need Jonah? God could have done it in so many other ways. He could have used so many other people, but he specifically chose Jonah. The reason why he chose Jonah is because he loves Jonah. Yes, God loves the city of Nineveh. We can see that. Despite their sin, despite how wicked they were, God loves them, but God also loves Jonah. And I want to propose this. The reason why God picked Jonah, because God loves Jonah, God was trying to do something inside of Jonah. God could have miraculously appeared to the Ninevites in many different ways, through a burning bush, through a talking donkey, told them to repent. But God wanted Jonah to be a part of this. And so in the beginning of what we just read in that closing passage, God doesn't want us to give begrudgingly, but he wants to live our lives with cheerful giving because we understand that through the way we live, through the way we go, and through the way we sow, God is doing something inside of us. God is shaping and making something greater inside of us. So I close with this story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I went hiking with my kids. And, um, you know, we weren't prepared because it was supposed to be this easy path, you know, the old Pully Road. Uh, but, but California grass, it's everywhere right now. Talk about going and sowing. California grass has came and sowed everywhere across the island. And so now the old Pully Road, it's covered with California grass. And so my son now, he's having a hard time getting through because he's like itching and he doesn't, you know, he's a city boy, like on his iPad. So he doesn't like this, right? My, my daughter though, she's like Indiana Jones. She's just like so excited, you know, she's like on a treasure hunt. And she noticed my, my son was lagging behind her older brother. So we're going to watch this quick clip and uh, see what she does. the proudest moments as a father I've ever experienced because I didn't tell her to do that. She on her own started to do that and then later on she even found a long stick so she could push back the grass for her brother so her brother could keep going. And, and she started to do it for me. She started like, Daddy, you go now. You know, just go. Just go. Forget about me. Leave me. 
she, she started to do it for me. Now, I, I definitely, my, my son needed help, but, but I definitely didn't need help. And at first, I was going to turn her down, like, no, daddy's okay. But I let her do it, not because I needed it, but because I wanted her to remember this moment of what it looks like to live selflessly, to live sacrificially, to live in love for the people around her. And I was so blessed. And now she does that all the time. Like, you know, I, my hands are full, her hands are full, and she's opening the door. And she's like, Daddy, you can go in. I'm like, no, Sanaya, I'll hold the door for you, like trying to do some kung fu move. You know, you go in. She's like, no, it's okay, you go. And again, I let her go because I'm like, this is such a precious moment and what God's doing in her heart right now. And, and so this, this, you know, as we talk about going and we talk about sowing, God doesn't need it, but he wants it from us because he's trying to do something greater in us and through us. He's calling us to live beyond. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table now.